Welcome to Tentpole Trauma, the podcast where we look at movies that came with hype and high hopes, but left with crushing disappointment, either critically, at the box office, or both. Freed from the weight of expectations, we seek to examine these underperformers under a new light, parsing through the good, the bad, and everything in between with the hopes of gaining a better understanding as to why they failed to find their audience. Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. On this episode, we discuss Batman and Robin. So Batman, and I'm here with Steve Robin. Oh, hey, and <laughs> Jen Batgirl. Hello. <laughs> and we are talking Batman and Robin. And now you may be wondering why I'm talking like this, and that's because I'm talking like Batman, and I'm actually wearing a Batman cowl right now. <laughs> You can't see it, but if you watch the video that we put out, you'll be thrilled by my appearance in a Batman cowl. <laughs> uh, all right, I'm going to stop talking that way. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're talking Batman. Now, there's not that many Batman movies to be discussed on Tentpole Trauma because most Batman movies are big hits. But there is one Batman movie that needs to be discussed on Tentpole Trauma. It's the one... Everyone knows the most infamous of all, the dreaded Batman and Robin from 1997, directed by Joel Schumacher. Interestingly, if you look at the numbers, Batman and Robin is not really a huge financial failure. It, it made its money back uh, through foreign box office and stuff. So technically not a failure. However... It is one of the most notoriously critically reviled films of all time. Most fans hate it. It's been the butt of the joke now for well over 20 years. And it's responsible for more or less killing the Batman franchise until Christopher Nolan came along and revived it with Batman Begins. Now, I am a huge Batman fan. I have been a huge Batman fan since I was a little, little child. One of my earliest memories is dressing up as Batman. One time I was in a parade as a little kid as Batman and like won a prize. I loved the Adam West show as a kid. I loved all the cartoons. 
And when the first sort of batch of big screen movies came out, of course, I saw all of them. Um, I enjoyed the original Tim Burton Batman, although I thought it was flawed, but I did enjoy it overall. I liked Michael Keaton as Batman, and I liked uh, Jack Nicholson as a Joker. I really liked Batman Returns, and it remains one of my favorite movies. We watch it every Christmas because I really enjoy watching it at Christmas. Love Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. Love Danny DeVito as the Penguin. Batman Forever came out in 1995, and I even enjoyed that one. It was a little more silly. It was a little more moving in the direction of the Batman TV show, but I still found a lot to enjoy there, even though... Joel Schumacher was now at the helm and not Tim Burton, and Val Kilmer was Batman. Jim Carrey as the Riddler was a little much at times for me, but I still more or less enjoyed it, and I really love the character of Two-Face, so I enjoyed Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face, even though he's not really doing a good Two-Face in that movie. But that's for another discussion. Then comes Batman and Robin in 1997, and... I remember when this came out, I was actually kind of excited for it. I was thinking, well, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze, that kind of sounds good to me. And Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy, that sounded good to me too. And then I remember I was out um, actually in New York with my band the weekend that it came out. And one of my band members went with his girlfriend to see it and they came back and my band member was like, oh, my God, it is the worst movie I've ever seen. So I was like, "Ooh, now I'm really interested. And of course, the reviews were terrible. So I ended up seeing it with some friends as soon as I got back into town. And yeah, I had a lot of thoughts about it, but I will save it for the podcast. Steve, why don't you give us a brief history of your history with Batman and the franchise leading up to Batman and Robin? I grew up with Super Friends. That was my initial introduction to Batman and Robin. I'm very familiar with the reruns of the, the 60s um, show with Adam West. I think in the mid-80s, because I was mostly a Marvel guy, comic-wise, and I started getting into the sort of Batman stuff like a year after I think The Dark Knight Returns came out by Frank Miller. That's when a lot of the sort of Batman stories, like I started picking up, um, like the Arkham Asylum graphic novel and um, Batman Year Two, um, mostly because I think Todd McFarlane was one of the artists and I was super into him at the time. Um, and then the Tim Burton Batman 89 came out and um, I had a really good time. Got all the shirts with the logo on it. Yep. Um, I totally got into the Batman fever. I had the Prince soundtrack and then the theatrical store by Daniel El Danny Elfman, which was like super good. And then I also, like you, loved Batman Returns. It went full on Tim Burton at that point. Yeah, totally. And then Batman Forever, that went a little bit too camp for me. And I thought that Tommy Lee Jones was trying to do like a lousy imitation of Jack Nicholson. I mean, in retrospect now, we can look at these movies after seeing the Nolan ones and be like, oh, man. But yeah, I was, I guess, a freshman in college when I saw Batman and Robin and it was uh, a psychologically damaging experience. <laughs> no, it, it had gone, it had gone too far in a direction that I did not really appreciate as an older 
you know, moviegoer. Jennifer, what is your brief history with the Batman franchise? Same beginnings as Steve. Uh, Super Friends was my first introduction. And then I also really enjoyed the reruns of the Adam West TV show. I loved all um, the different villains that were on the TV show and was just really into that. When Tim Burton's Batman came around, I also had the t-shirts and uh, was super hyped uh, as also a, I, I was, am still a huge uh, Prince fan. So that involvement was just, I was super psyched and I really enjoyed that when it came out. I think I've seen most of the Batman films in the theater. Yes, we do watch Batman Returns every Christmas. Every single Christmas every single without Christmas. fail. And it's a, it's a delight. I love that film. I don't think I had seen Batman and Robin probably, you don't really put that one on often. So Batman? Not often, but I do put it on on occasion. Um, well, I have must have tuned it out or, you know, I just don't really, I'm not that familiar with it. But then when we started watching it yesterday, I was like, oh, yeah. There's good things about it and we'll get into it. But um, I get why it put the freeze on the franchise. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> Starting with the freeze puns already. Excellent. I, I don't know. I appreciate all, kind of all of the different styles of the Batman films. I'm not a comic person, so I can't speak to that. Not that I'm anti-comic. I'm just not. It's not my thing. But I, I do appreciate what each of the directors has brought to Batman. That's my Batman story. I'm sticking to it. So, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, after this movie came out in 1997, everybody was like, well, that's it. The Batman movies have gone into the tank and they're terrible now. Now we've had a lot of time away. We've had the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. We've had a new version of Batman in the DCU with Ben Affleck and stuff. So I feel like the time is now to heal and to come back to Batman and Robin and maybe try to appreciate the things about it that I think are kind of fun and cool. And if you are a fan of Batman comics, and this goes to your point, Jen, in the history of Batman, Batman has gone through many different iterations over his many, many years in comics. And like Steve, I read comics too. I was actually reading Batman comics in the 70s when Denny O'Neill was writing them, and he kind of took it into a darker place after the TV show had sort of redefined Batman culturally. So... I was sort of primed for a darker version of Batman. I also loved Batman Returns and Year One and Arkham Asylum and all those things. So I was really down for a dark Batman. And I remember when the Tim Burton movies happened, the whole consensus there was like, yeah, he made Batman dark. But now you kind of look back at those movies and they're really not that dark. And they're not that far from what we get in Batman and Robin. I mean, Batman and Robin is taking things way, way out there, but it's still coming from more or less the same place. You know, this establishing the villains being played by these high profile actors and them really going over the top. So I feel like we are kind of seeing a natural uh, evolution of what was started in Tim Burton's Batman here. And I also think that you can look at this movie and say, oh, this isn't true to Batman, but that's not true. It is true to Batman. You could look at this movie as a remake of the Adam West Batman a big budget remake of that Batman. And I think you're pretty close to what's going on here. That's not to say I think this movie's great. It's got a lot of problems, but I do think 
if we approach Batman with, and Robin with this attitude of like, let's look at this as like they remade the Adam West show, but with big budget. Like, I think it you can kind of maybe be a little kinder to it. Seeing that Batman and Robin really is sort of the the 90s take on that 66 show. Yeah. I agree that looking at through that lens is more favorable, but I hated that Joel Schumacher fully went there. It was, uh, I think, a step backwards for the character. So I wasn't very happy with it. But I mean, I, I probably had a fun time when I saw it initially. Yeah. And let me make this clear. Like, this is not my preferred Batman. And we'll get into, like, discussing George Clooney and stuff like that. This is not the Batman that I favor. But I'm just saying, if we are to appreciate the phenomenon of Batman as a whole, I feel like this does have its own weird little place in it. Now, this is directed by Joel Schumacher. I liked some Joel Schumacher films before I saw this movie. I loved Lost Boys, which he directed, and I loved like, Falling Down. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's maybe another decent movie he did in there. Flatliners? Mm -hmm. I'm so-so on Flatliners. It's a good idea. But um, he's made some decent movies. Steve, what do you think of Joel Schumacher? Exactly those two movies you mentioned, uh, Lost Boys and Falling Down. I really love those movies. I know that Joel Schumacher has like a, a fashion background, um, and then he was doing writing uh, before he got into directing. And I guess that sort of shows in Batman and Robin a lot, the sort of fashion part. But like after watching Lost Boys and Falling Down, you're like, what happened but then you look at the the direction the studio was going you're like he succeeded he fulfilled his primary function well i also know a lot about this movie and his tenure in the batman movie so i can answer a lot of questions there's a lot of reasons that are made obvious now why things are the way they are and i will get into them as we go jen you like obviously lost boys a lot and falling down and stuff you're a joel schumacher appreciator right i absolutely am lost boys is one of my faves of all time um i also like i appreciate saint elmo's fire i just was looking up and i forgot that he did the incredible shrinking woman which is one of my favorite films as like a kid i watched the shit out of that i love that movie oh uh, yeah he also did some thrillers that i really enjoy from the 90s uh, he did uh, The Client and A Time to Kill and he also did 8mm which is scummy and a good time so yeah I'm, I'm definitely a Joel Schumacher fan there you go so yeah we're all on board we're all down for this right we like Joel Schumacher so the movie opens up with uh, the suit up scene we're in the bat cave it opens up the same way Batman Forever opened up with basically except now Robin is in the mix and we're getting all these shots of like the bat suit and everything and we're getting these butt shots and these <laughs> shots of the front of the suits which have nipples on them now that was another big controversy of this movie everybody when they would discuss this movie would be like i can't believe they put nipples on the bat suit nipples on the bat suit started <laughs> in batman forever not this movie i mean it's definitely joel schumacher to blame for the nipples however if you're going to complain about nipples, you got to start with Batman Forever. And Joel Schumacher's defense for this was always like, well, I was trying to make the suits look like Greek statues or whatever. So 
that that was his thinking behind it. Joel Schumacher also very endearingly has apologized for this movie. If you listen to the commentary on the DVD, Blu-ray, whatever 4K you're watching, Joel Schumacher publicly apologizes for this movie. He's like, I'm sorry if this movie ruined Batman for you. I know a lot of people didn't like it. And Joel Schumacher has recently passed, so... I think, you know, we can all afford to be generous to Joel Schumacher at this point. But yeah, he publicly is like, I'm sorry. I and he, and he doesn't blame anyone. He's like, I take full responsibility. I was the director. It was my call. I'm sorry if you hated this movie. I didn't mean to make you hate it. <laughs> so it's very sweet. But let's talk about our Batman as played by George Clooney. Now... I was excited to see George Clooney take over as Batman. I was a little iffy on Val Kilmer. I didn't like the fact that he was blonde. I didn't think that he was exceptionally good as Batman. And of course, I liked Michael Keaton, but he was long gone by the time this movie came around. So uh, George Clooney was just kind of starting to become a star. He was in a few movies, but not that many. He was obviously on ER and that was his big thing. But, you know, he was in like From Dusk Till Dawn. And I was like, yeah, cool. He's got dark hair. He's got a nice chin. He'll look good in the cowl. So I was kind of psyched for George Clooney until I saw the movie. (laughs) And... George Clooney also famously has a really good sense of humor about this. He's like, I'm the worst Batman, hands down. He, like, he publicly, he loves to make fun of it. Whenever he's on a talk show, he'll always like make fun of his Batman without casting blame on anyone else either. He's a stand-up guy. I love George Clooney. Since this movie, I've seen him in lots of movies. And I always enjoy him. He's bad. Let's just be honest. He's a bad Batman. He's a pretty bad Bruce Wayne, too. Whenever he's Bruce Wayne, he's, like, bobbing his head around all the time. Did you guys notice that? Wasn't he on, like, Facts of Life and stuff? Yeah, on the later season of Facts of Life. Right, because I remember when he got onto um, ER, which I never really watched, but, um, yeah, he was definitely a rising star. I mean, he's undeniably good-looking dude, and when people say, like, people have, like, the smolder or give that look... Like, he has it. He has got the eyes. Um, my sister saw him once at, like, a, some bar in New York, like, years ago. And she said, like, you could immediately feel his, like, charisma, um, his presence in the room. I don't even know what I would have wanted, but I was definitely more into Keaton. And Val Kilmer, Top Secret, Willow, The Doors. Uh, Real genius. Real genius, yeah. I was like... Love him in those movies, um, but uh, yeah, Blonde, all sorts of stories about him. He has that documentary out, which I'm not sure if you've seen. It's so good. Gave me so much more sympathy for him as Batman after hearing him talk about it. He's like, I couldn't hear anybody talking to me, which I can relate to right at this moment because I'm wearing a Batman (laughs) cowl and it's I have headphones in the cowl. But if I didn't, I wouldn't be able to hear anything. He felt really isolated. And as an actor, he couldn't connect to it. He's like, every kid wants to be Batman, but no actor wants to play Batman once he gets in the suit. Right. He had also said in the documentary, like he had grown up in, you know, L.A. area and he had gone to like, I think he got to visit the set when they were filming the t- the television show or something. And like, you know, had visited places where they had filmed some of the show and whatnot. And he was a super fan of Batman. But just like Sabatman just said, he then learned, you know, like 
little every little boy wants to be Batman, but it's not fun to to play him in a movie because he was completely isolated. He couldn't hear, couldn't really see that well also in the cowl. And then also just the the suit was so restrictive, he could hardly like really move or or emulate anything. And that's been a problem for every actor who's played Batman. So in George Clooney's defense, he was dealing with a lot of things having to, to wear this suit. And he was also shooting this on the weekends when he wasn't on ER. So he was oh, really? like coming to the set, yeah, and playing Batman in between his TV gigs. So he was really burning the candle on both ends. But I just don't like him as Batman. I feel like his portrayal is just too good-natured and amiable. I understand we're going for a kinder, gentler Batman here. He's not supposed to be as gruff and as dark, but he just doesn't even seem to have any pathos at all. He's just kind of like, I'm an easygoing guy. Yeah, no, he's um, he's definitely a goof, but even like Adam West was playing it fun, but not like, I completely forgot while I'm doing this. It's like... Yeah, your dude, your parents got shot in an alleyway. Like, remember that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. it. It just doesn't seem like he has any take on it. He's just being Clooney. Adam West was goofy, but he was clearly doing like a camp performance where I feel like George Clooney is just like, I'm George Clooney and I'm in a Batman mask. See? Hi. Hey, I'm Clooney. You know, it just he doesn't work for me at all, unfortunately, as Batman. He looks pretty good in the suit, though. I don't have the problems that you do with George Clooney as Batman because it's like I was saying earlier with how I can look at all the different films and appreciate different things about it. It's like he's not Batman for all of time. He was Batman for this one section of the Batman films. And it's, I don't think he's terrible. I, I think George Clooney is just, you know, he oozes the charisma and he's just seems like a really nice guy. And, and I don't know, he's just likable. And I know that that's not who Batman is supposed to be. I mean, he's supposed to be, he's a hero, but he's also brooding. And I, I don't know, maybe I'd have more um, thoughts about Clooney as Batman if I had, you know, more of a relationship with Batman as you two have, as far as being really invested in the comics and everything. I have a very intimate relationship with Batman. Oh, I know. <laughs> Let's um, move on, though, from Batman to our Robin, which is Chris O'Donnell. This is Chris O'Donnell's second time as Robin. He appeared in Batman Forever and he took on the mantle of Robin at the end of the movie. He is, as far as I know, the one and only big screen Robin. There still hasn't really been anyone to take up the Robin suit in as far as big budget movies are concerned. Uh, how do you feel about Chris O'Donnell, Steve? Yeah, I was fine with it. I mean, he was kind of becoming a it boy in that period in the 90s. Maybe a little bit on the old side for me to be in that role. But as someone that watched TV in the 90s, especially with 90210, you're like, these are 20-year-olds. And I think at one point, like 30-year-olds playing high schoolers are like, yes. oh, okay, sure. So it's different now. But yeah, he was a fine Robin. I thought he was pretty good. Chris O'Donnell as Robin is fine. I think it's more for me, I liked in the TV show, that there was Batman and Robin, obviously, and then, you know, there was Batgirl that would show up or whatever. I don't know if I needed all of that Batman back up in the films. Kind of for me, I want to have just like Batman, and I want to have a lot of villains. Like, I like the villains. I think they're way more interesting. That's kind of, I mean, it's not Chris O'Donnell's fault. I just don't really 
I don't really care about Robin or Batgirl, and we'll get into that in, in the film. Yeah, I think he's doing fine as what he's asked to do as Robin. I just don't like what he's being asked to do as Robin. And that's being petulant the whole time. And if he was played by a younger actor, I think you'd buy it more because you'd be like, yeah, he's a kid. But you're looking at this like guy who's pushing 30 being like, don't tell me what to do, Batman. (laughs) The whole time you're like, dude, you can go to a bar and have a drink or something. Why don't you just like chill out? The, The characterization is the problem. It's not really him as an actor. I kind of think his suit is a little goofy, too. He's got like this red Robin suit. It should be blue. He should look and he should be called Nightwing. Right. There's already a character in the comics who's that age called Nightwing, who's Robin when he's a little older. He should have just been playing uh, Nightwing. And we should also mention, you know, the 90s were also the time of the Batman, the animated series, which most people who are Batman fans hold up as pretty much the gold standard as to how Batman should be sort of handled and so it kind of hurts this movie if you put it in the context of the 90s because i remember i would actually watch that cartoon and i'd be watching that cartoon being like this is a great batman and then going to the movies and being like this is batman (laughs) so it was hard when you had that to compare it to but let's get into the coolest character in this movie nice see what i did there i do and that is Mr. Freeze, Arnold Schwarzenegger. So Batman and Robin are getting sent to the museum because like Commissioner Gordon literally comes up on this like display on Batman's uh, steering wheel. And it's like, Batman, there's a new villain in town, Mr. Freeze. He's at the museum or whatever. So like immediately it's established like this is pretty much for like five-year-olds right like the plot has just so little logic they're not trying to make this realistic at all you have to approach this movie as if it's a live action saturday morning cartoon so you've got to just forget about stuff like logic or verisimilitude or anything there's nothing grounding this movie to anything and this scene is the perfect example of this now i gotta say this opening sequence in the museum I kind of love it. Like, I've got the 4K, and you watch this shit on 4K, it looks amazing! Like, the craziest, like, gay disco Batman on ice madness that you've ever seen. Like, there's literally, like, lighting going on that looks like the inside of, like, a club. At one point, Mr. Freeze is, like, walking around, and there's, like, a spotlight clearly following him. Like, where is the spotlight in this museum that's following the villain? around but mr freeze is there to steal a giant diamond because his suit is powered by diamonds and he's got all these henchmen who are hockey like dressed up in hockey pads and everything like post-apocalyptic hockey players they are all skating around this insanely like over designed museum with like a big dinosaur in the middle of it and we get this Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. He's wearing this outrageous suit with all these lights on it, and he's just throwing down ice puns like there's no tomorrow. Anyone who knows this movie, and everyone knows it, knows about the ice puns. You can go on YouTube and see a million YouTube videos where they just do all the ice puns. And 
I kind of love him at this point. In 1997, I was rolling my eyes like, oh my God, what is going on here? But now I just, I just, I just love it now. And I got to say, Arnold Schwarzenegger is my favorite part of this movie. Mr. Freeze is my favorite part of this movie. He's a ton of fun. I mean, he's, he's a legend. And all of his other action movies, you know him for his one-liners, you know, like, let off some steam, Bennett, and like, I'll be back. I mean, he's just known for it. And I love puns. So I'm all about it. I want even more of that. So the fact that (laughs) Arnold in this movie gives you pretty much every ice cold pun like you could possibly want is just amazing. And he, I think he got paid like 25 million or something for this movie. Yep. It's just a blast. And he not only did he get paid $25 million for this movie, but like most of the time when you see him, if it's not a close-up on him, it's not him. Right. Like it's somebody else in the suit. He was like barely ever there. He's only there if you see his face. Now, I know my wife, Jennifer, and she loves puns probably more than anyone <laughs> except for maybe Steve <laughs> now I'm, I'm finding out. So, Jen, you love puns. You gotta love Arnold Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze in this movie, right? I love him so much. Are you kidding me? Like, we were watching it last night, and I was chuckling at every single pun. I was just like, give it to me, Mr. Freeze. It's the pun-tastic, punny good time that I am here for. And talking about that intro into the film, I believe I turned to you, and I was like, because it's such... Just bonkers, bananas, just everything going just wild. And I just turned to you and I was like, we're only 10 minutes in. Like, this is the beginning of the film. And I I just, yeah, I, I love it all so much. And Mr. Freeze is just wonderful. My favorite moment has to be when he turns to the dinosaur, the giant brontosaurus, <laughs> and goes, what killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age! And then blasts it with his freeze gun. Just amazing. And then, like, Batman comes smashing through the skylight and is like, hello, Freeze. I'm Batman. And then he, like, skates down the side of the dinosaur. And then Robin comes smashing through the window on his red wing motorcycle and then they're fighting all the goons on the ground and they're trying to get the diamond and then at one point they get like ice skates in the bottom of their bat boots and like again in 1997 I'm like oh my god what am I watching this is the worst shit I've ever seen but now I'm like this is just delightful it is so ridiculous it is so over the top It's probably not what you want from a Batman movie, but I don't know. I think this shit is hilarious and, like, amazing to watch. And it looks incredible in 4K. It looks just insane. Agreed. I wish I had a 4K TV right now. It was a lot like the giant fight sets from, like, the 60s Batman. I was definitely feeling that vibe. The ice skates were cheesy, but you know Batman is, like has all these gadgets. Like, all the sets in this movie definitely feel theatrical stage of, like, a like a roller rink or... Because there's so much ice skating in this movie. It's just so super cheesy. It's like a giant Broadway musical set or something. Or, like, yeah, Batman on ice or whatever. I mean, <laughs> and all the sets are like this. They're all just crazy, insane lighting that's 
would make no sense in the real world, but you have to just give yourself over to it. You know, like you have to just be like, this is what I'm doing. This is where we are. Like, there's no reality here. This is not grounded. It is so far from like the grounded realism of Christopher Nolan. It's like the complete and opposite direction. And it's just kind of cool that Batman as a character can actually exist in this insanity. I think it speaks to the malleability of the character. But if you think this scene is crazy, it even gets crazier because it turns out that Mr. Freeze's crazy vehicle that he has has also got like a friggin' rocket in it. And he like gets in his rocket and goes crashing through the ceiling of the museum and goes up into space. And like Batman and Robin are like clinging to the side of the rocket and like they get inside the rocket and Mr. Freeze freezes Batman to the side of the rocket and then he escapes and then Robin comes in and saves Batman and then they've got to surf on the doors of the rocket back down to Gotham, which is like, they're in, almost in friggin' space at this point. And then they're like surfing down at one point. Robin's like, cowabunga! So it's just the cheesiest of the cheesy. At this point, are you like, what the hell am I watching, Steve? It's over the top. But the, the early 90s uh, or the mid 90s at this point where it's like, it's full of extreme sports. There's totally catering to the kids. And, th- and that's and that's why the you know these Batman movies took a, such a giant step away from what Tim Burton was doing. I'm like thinking of, and this came way later, the, the surfing scene from um, Die Another Day, when it's just like surfing in the sky. It's, it's, just, it's just super over the top. I, I, you know, at that point, I'm, I'm speechless. It's like Mr. Freeze's uh, butterfly wingsuit that like <laughs> opens up and it's got all these like blue lights on it. I was like, wow. It's just crazy. <laughs> I, I think the most important thing is they established that the Bat team has high-powered hand lasers that they right. can use. Um, yes. And that's pretty much the only important part of this, this scene other than um, the crazy ice punts. It feels like they're just like, okay, what can we do next that's cr- even crazier? What can we do next that's even crazier? What can we do next that's even crazier? And to uh, Steve's point... The uh, laser thing comes into play here because after the rocket blows up and they surf back down to Gotham, like Mr. Freeze is like using his freeze gun to like somehow break his fall and he like falls into this chimney and Batman and Robin come down and he freezes Robin with his freeze gun and Batman has to put Robin in this convenient like pool of water and then heat up the water to thaw out Batman. And like Mr. Freeze is like, can you be cold Batman? You have to thaw the bird or catch the villain or whatever. (laughs) This ridiculous exchange between them before Mr. Freeze like escapes and he escapes by like freezing a wall. And then he rubs a little hole in the window in the, in the frozen wall and like waves to Batman. It's ridiculous. But what this is establishing here is once Batman thaws Robin is their internal conflict, which is that Robin feels that Batman doesn't trust him to sort of do his own thing 
which Batman shouldn't trust him because Robin just got frozen and he had to thaw him out and they didn't catch Mr. Freeze because of it. So like, I think Batman's kind of got a point there, Robin. But anyway, that's just to set up conflict between these two characters. Robin gets thrown into a pool of water and thawed out. He gets thrown into a vat of goo later on. And like he gets thrown into another pool in Poison Ivy's lair. So he's just getting dunked constantly in this movie. It's kind of hilarious. I think this is also the time that we because we learn because Batman does thaw out Robin. I think they establish that when someone gets frozen, is it that they have like 11 minutes Yes, 11 minutes. Okay, so that's established that, because that this is going to happen a lot. Throughout the film, there's a lot of freezing going on. So, yeah. yeah, we need to know, you know, the time frame we're dealing with, what the rules are. Well, this is actually based on some hard science. You can freeze a human being and they will live, but just for 11 minutes. Oh, well, really? Okay. Okay. No, I just, no, of course not. I was ready for like the rainbow with the more you know with the go across. No, you're you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> you're probably dead within thirty seconds. I Are mean, you well, you're in that that cowl. You seem like you know things. So I, I like... wish I was frozen right now because this cowl start. I'm starting to get sweaty. Another fun thing about Mister Freeze that we see throughout the movie is he's you know he's got his henchmen. He's got his lair where they all hang out and like watch. Uh, right, the classic stop motion. Rankin Bass. Uh, yeah. Yeah, stop motion ones. The heat miser. Yes. Yeah, it's I can't remember what the cold guy's name is. It's not cold miser. So I think it is cold is miser. It? Is it that simple? Okay. But anyway, all of his henchmen are watching that. They're all eating frozen dinners, which they can't eat because they're frozen. Like Mr. Freeze has got this sweet bathrobe and, you know, and we get this weird cameo from Vivica A. Fox as like the sexy Mm -hmm. henchwoman who wants to get with Mr. Freeze. But his heart will only thaw for his bride. And we learn that Mr. Freeze was once a scientist who had this wife, but then she got this disease called McGregor syndrome, which will come into play in our B plot. And he fell into a vat of like liquid nitrogen or some shit. And now he has to be in a state of perpetual cold in order to survive. That take on Mr. Freeze, that's directly from the Batman the Animated Series. That's right. That sort of take on the character written by like Paul Dini of him being a scientist and having the the wife with a terminal illness, which sort of was a huge change for that character from the comics, um, really just defined him from then on. Like, that was the story. Yeah. Which is amazing um, that, you know, five years later or that they adapted it as this version of Mr. Freeze. And again, I watched those cartoons and I thought that was such an amazing sort of heartfelt story in the cartoon. And then you put it in this movie and they just make it completely goofy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so they weren't really doing it justice, but I can appreciate it that it's there. It's in there and, it, you know, it, it plays a factor later. Speaking of puns, Vivica Fox's character's name in this in this movie is Miss B. Haven. <laughs> so it's, it's just it's just great. It's just, you know, it's awesome. And awesome. she's only in it for the scene, which is That's sort of it. like the it's such a throwaway. Yeah. They're trying to get that Drew Barrymore, Debbie Mazar uh, two-faced girlfriend's magic back from Batman Forever. But yeah, they just throw her in this one scene and she just basically gets the cold shoulder <laughs> of this Mr. Freeze. <laughs> it's unfortunate that 
there wasn't a scene with her and um, Uma Thurman's character because they would get back together several years later and kill Bill. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, they have a fight scene. It would have been fun to see here in retrospect. All right, well, let's move on to our the next big element of this movie, and that is Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy. Now, we are whisked away to some, I don't know, South American jungle or something somewhere, mm-hmm. and we meet Pamela Isley, who is a scientist working on some sort of plant formula thing. She's trying to combine animal and plant DNA to make a hybrid creature. It was a snake in the the movie yeah. <laughs> to create a plants that were able to protect themselves against humanity and the like. Thank you yes. so much for explaining that because <laughs> I've never fully understood. I knew she was making plants that had snakes coming out of them or whatever, but I'm like, what is she doing? Okay, now that makes sense. Thank you, Steve. So she's working on this plant-related project, but meanwhile, like, I don't know, in the next lab over, the character of Jason Woodrew, who is actually taken from the Swamp Thing comics, right. he's like a uh, villain called like the Floronic Man in Swamp Thing, which I... I read the Alan Moore run of Swamp Thing. Love it. It's one of the best comic runs ever. But yeah, he's a character from that, and they just brought him in because he's plant-related. No, but he, in one of the tellings of Poison Ivy's origin, he is the one that okay. uh, imbues her with the plant powers and her attachment to the green. It's such a great comic tie-in, and it's such a throwaway that unless like we know that who Jason Woodrow is. Otherwise, it's just like, hey, it's John Glover, that guy from, you know, such things as whatever. <laughs> well, most famously, I think he's from uh, Gremlins too. Mm-hmm. He's like, I think the villain in that. He's sort of a a DC staple now after being in Shazam. Yeah, that's right. He's all over, He was uh, Lex Luthor. He's just, no, Lex Luthor's father um, in Smallville. Yeah, he's just great. So it's like all these actors out there with the last name of Glover and he's one of the the great ones you know Danny Crispin Crispin that's right right. the whole thing is he's next door and he's trying to make a super soldier to sell to terrorists basically and that super soldier is first is this little skinny bald guy that he puts on a table and then plugs all these tubes into him and turns him into this big muscle man and that big muscle man is Bane now Jennifer was kind of shocked that (laughs) this was Bane. She's like, is that Bane? Because she's really only familiar with him from the Tom Hardy version. But this this isn't quite the same Bane, is it, Jennifer? It's not in the same vein, this Bane. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I blame it on Mr. Freeze. No, no, I'm I'm here for it. But yeah, he definitely looks more like Bane does in the comics. In the comics, Bane has this very much Mexican wrestler, luchador type of mask look. And he's got these tubes that feed into the back of his mask and they fill him with this super serum called Venom, which turns him into a giant muscle man, aggro fighter. Now in the comics, he's actually really smart. You know, his intelligence is more akin to the way Tom Hardy played him in The Dark Knight Rises. But in this movie, he's just a dumb muscle for Poison Ivy, basically. So it was a pretty disappointing first cinematic appearance of Bane. 
it was super disappointing knowing the the character and his role in the Batman Nightfall, the, the comic where he breaks Batman's back. In The Dark Knight Rises, they really go into his um, intelligence, the fact that he was born and raised in a, a prison. Um, we get none of that here. And it's sort of just a, hey, we're making another movie so instead of two villains, we're going to throw in three. Joel Schumacher talks about something that happened during the development of this film that really will sort of illuminate why so many of these decisions were made. And that is because the studio wanted these Batman movies to be more toyetic. They wanted characters that would be able to be marketed as action figures, and they wanted more suits, and they wanted more vehicles, which is why we get that whole dumb vehicle chase at the end for like a minute where they're all in different ridiculous ice related vehicles just driving around shooting at other guys like that was all just to sell toys they just wanted to make toys 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 and that that was one thing that schumacher did struggle with a little bit he's like now i'm answering to like hasbro or whatever like they're calling the shots as to like what's going on in the actual story so the reason why we have bane here aside from bringing him in from the comics because he had been a popular character in the 90s it was also just to sell toys that's a mistake that studios make again and again with these sort of superhero movies like i mean they repeated it in the raimi spider-man movies i think kenner made the initial batman toy line from 89 and that was the first time i think they started making um the different versions of batman like you know stealth night batman or flying laser batman or whatever yeah it was uh, crazy not to go too off on a tangent here but as somebody who has collected action figures uh since i was a kid and being a huge batman fan during the 90s finding a normal batman that wasn't some dumb like snow stealth batman or like you know underwater batman like he'd be like in a green batman suit or like a blue batman suit or whatever i'm like i just want a normal batman like that's just normal and it was so hard for so many years to find a just a normal friggin batman it was really frustrating and it was all because of the toy companies just generating all these different versions of batman they wouldn't even be in the movie they would just be making up nonsense that wasn't even in the movie there's one version of batman that we proudly own i think i insisted that we get this version of batman and that is nightmare batman yes we have nightmare (laughs) batman from batman v superman but at least that's in the movie like he's sort of like a post-apocalyptic batman with like a a duster the schneider batman yes okay that's like the the best thing out of the movie. So Pamela Isley is trying to make her uh, plant creature hybrids and she stumbles upon Woodrow creating Bane and selling him to the terrorists. And she's like, this isn't what I want my research for. And then Woodrow tries to hit on her and she basically turns him down. So Woodrow throws her into a bunch of lab equipment that's got all these toxins and poisons. And then a couple of scenes later, we see the birth of Poison Ivy where she comes back out of the ground because all of the toxins have 
have turned her into a supervillain. And she like comes up and she's like, I'm poison, poison ivy. And she like kisses Woodrow and he dies because her lips are now poison. Hence her name, Poison Ivy. Now let's talk a little bit about this performance because, oh my goodness, is it a performance? I remember at the time... People were praising this. People were like, okay, the movie's bad. Arnold Schwarzenegger's bad. But Uma Thurman is really good as Poison Ivy. And it's like she's clearly doing an exaggerated like Mae West, like come in and see me sometime, sugar kind of thing. I mean, it's fun, but I don't know if it's as fun as Arnold Schwarzenegger. She's kind of terrible, in a, but kind of in a good way. Jen, what do you think of Poison Ivy in this movie? I, I like her. Um, I also just was thinking when you, you were talking about her, I was like, oh, Pamela Isley. That's quite close to Poison Ivy as far as yes. like, the wording goes. I didn't catch that earlier. Well, Mr. Freeze's name is Victor Freeze. Yes. Yeah. When you're a villain in Batman, your name is always conspicuously like your villain persona. Yeah. No, it works. I think she's fine. I, I like that, you know, she falls into the, the vat of all the poisons and comes out as you know super villain super babe as long as she's like super cute in her poison ivy outfit and she's got this kiss of death and she's also staunchly like for the environment and mother nature and i was like this is true poison ivy's not wrong not wrong at all especially now as like you know we can't go outside because the air is so bad because of fires like that's right poison ivy get up we maybe should have listened to her more back then we should have listened to her but uh no i i I think she's totally fine i i i i'm a fan of uma thurman and yeah it's over the top but that's kind of that's where we are in this film everything is over the top and it works it works for me i like uma thurman and I like the character of Poison Ivy. At this point, though, I've I've really just given in to just yeah. the the tone. You of have the movie. to. Yeah, you, you, you to. absolutely have to. She looks great. I mean, they they pretty much keep her origin fairly close to the comic um, or even the the animated series. So I'm down. She's like had a brief uh, appearance in the Lego Batman movie. So we're not getting a lot of this character. She showed up in the Gotham show as a minor character. Oh, right. They had her as a little kid. And then because she's such a, like a sort of sex symbol kind of character, they rapidly aged her up later on. And I think in the, the Batman um, animated cartoon, they made her more of a, she was a friend of a, Barbara's uh, of Batgirl. Well, and now she's in the uh, Harley Quinn cartoon, and they're like Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy are in a same-sex relationship. Right. No, th- um, that cartoon's great. Yeah, that's where they've gone with the character in modern times, and then there's a lot of rumors that they're going to do that in live action. Like they're going to have cast somebody as Poison Ivy, and they're going to have her and uh, Margot Robbie as in a same-sex relationship. That was also uh, a relationship that was established in the the animated series. Yeah. Well, let's talk about something that isn't so good, and that is the subplot of Alfred the Butler dying of McGregor (laughs) syndrome, which is a made-up disease. Wait, so wait, he has McGregor syndrome? That's the same thing that Dr. Freeze's wife has. You didn't catch that? I just, no, right now I just was like, wait a second, all these people are dealing with McGregor syndrome? Look, 
in Gotham City in 1997, they had a serious McGregor syndrome outbreak. Okay. There was a lot of people suffering from Mac- Ewan McGregor syndrome. Because <laughs> he's so dazzling. He's so dazzling. And the funny thing is Alfred is only suffering from like stage one McGregor syndrome, okay. which is why he's able to be cured at the end of the movie. Spoiler. Spoiler. Who gives a shit. But Mr. Freeze's wife has stage four, which is why she can't be cured out of her stasis uh, underwater tank that she's somehow still alive in. Okay. Uh, we forgot to sort of mention that Mr. Freeze's wife is in an underwater tank. Yes. Yet she's still alive. She's played by a mannequin. There was never an actual real person in that tank. I mean, they have a, the the sort of flashback um, home videos. She's played by a, a model. I stand corrected. You're right. This whole plot is so stupid, and I wish it wasn't in the movie because who cares? I think it's in. It's important for a couple of stupid plot reasons, but also to sort of heighten the father role that Alfred plays in the the family, you know, especially to Bruce and also at this point to Dick. These are the sort of touching moments, which is, you know, in a such a corny movie, it's sort of like, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> it just doesn't work for me. I don't care about any of this. It's not working. I'm not like sad, like, oh, poor Alfred. And I like Alfred. Yeah. Alfred is played by uh, Michael Goh. It's actually pronounced Goff. He is a British actor. He's been in Hammer films. He's been around. He, he had been around forever. He's since passed. Not of McGregor syndrome, <laughs> though. But yeah, he's a great actor. I loved him as Alfred. He's in all of these 90s Batman. So he's the one sort of constant other than the Commissioner Gordon. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I like him. I like him as an actor. I just am like, this whole thing with him is just sort of tiresome. And we get a lot of these sort of flashbacks to Bruce as a little boy and Alfred caring for him and stuff like that. Jen, what did you think of this Alfred subplot? I mean, I guess whatever. They they had to have some sort of thing going on, but... Yeah, I mean, it just feels like one thing too many. And another thing too many that gets thrown into this is then we get Alicia Silverstone as Barbara, but she's not Barbara Gordon because she's Alfred's niece, even though Alfred is like 100 years old and she's like... I don't know, 16. Supposed to be a teenager. Yeah. And Alfred's like, oh, my niece is here. And of course, like Dick is all like, hello there. (laughs) This is just a few years after Clueless. So Alicia Silverstone is really at her it girlist moment. Poor Alicia Silverstone. She just seems like she does not want to be here. She's just like, what am I doing here? Like, it's just she's not having a good time. And you can sort of tell but yeah there's one point when like she's sitting down with alfred at the computer and he's talking about her mom i guess Mm -hmm. and they have this picture of her mom whose nickname is peg which is really important because this is going to be the password to the bat computer that she hacks into later but like the picture of, of her mom is like from like the 1930s or something she looks like a silent movie star or something and it's like this is her mom when did she have her when she was like 70 like this is all just such bending over backwards to fit her into this family situation and in the comics barbara gordon is commissioner gordon's daughter which is just so much better because she's coming from a different side of like 
Batman's world. Like she's coming from the cop side of things. And so his relationships with her is like he makes her one of his sidekicks, but it's like, well, you can't tell your dad because he's I'm not supposed to be doing this. I'm a vigilante. So it just I so I hate this. I hate all of this. And I don't hate Alicia Silverstone, but I hate her part in this movie. It sucks. I, I agree. I don't disagree with you at all. Like uh, Barbara, well, in this case, Wilson. But no, it's, yeah, it's supposed to be Barbara Gordon. And in fact, the it's a it's a failure on the part of the movie to have Pat Hingle reprise his role as uh, Commissioner Gordon through all the movies, like Michael Goff as Alfred, and not even slide her in. Because even in, if this is, adhering to the 66 Batman in spirits they don't do it here and poor Pat Hingle I just want to say as a side note he's never given any respect in the comics and then later in the other movies Commissioner Gordon is an important part of Batman's world and he's smart and he's like kind of his equal in a lot of ways but not in these movies and in this movie especially like when Poison Ivy comes in he's like oh Poison Ivy he's like just fawning all over because she's got her like pheromone dust or whatever the poor guy I feel so bad for Pat he's Eagle. pretty decent in um, the first uh, Keaton Batman um, as far as a competent like police officer that's trustworthy it's funny because after this movie those roles of alfred and commissioner gordon are these like big name actors like taking these roles like they're they've become elevated to this status you know michael kane is alfred or you know gary oldman is commissioner gordon gary oldman is commissioner gordon no it's uh it's crazy and it took eight years for people to to see that or christopher nolan i guess I like Alicia Silverstone. I'm a fan of hers. Um, I was liking what she was doing at the time. I had been clueless. I think the crush had happened also that I, I liked her in that a lot. Yeah, definitely a fan of hers. You know, I guess I was probably at the time like, oh, cool, she's in this. But like I said earlier, I just, I think it's just too much. Like, I just really want to see Batman and Batman and villains, and I just don't really care about Robin and this Batgirl. I don't care. So you probably really don't care when they go on their whole little motorcycle outing. Do you care about that? Don't care about that at all. Like we could have cut, we could have just cut all of that. Like I think I kind of zoned out during that. It's just not. It doesn't do it for me. It's a throwaway scene. It establishes the the relationship between a uh, Batgirl and, and Robin later on, but. I feel, you know, the the entire movie, the big theme is is family and trust and and she plays yeah, it's into basically that. a fast and furious. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh with with totally. the the fast riding and the cars and absolutely. And the family and the family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just need some coronas in this movie. That's right. Yep. <laughs> Crazy by Aerosmith. Like who can forget that video for anyone that saw it in the time? Those videos were awesome, and um, and what was the other? It was crazy, and the other one, uh, Dying or whatever it was, it's called Dying. I can't remember. Crying. Crying. crying yes, crying. yes, crying. Sorry. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. No, I loved Clueless as well. Mm-hmm. It's fun to see her in here, even though yeah. she's not given much to do. She's really just there to bring in sort of the female audience. And I think she fails <laughs> pretty much, but it's not her fault. Let's get on to the next big kind of thing that happens in this movie. So one of the scenes that transpired is there's this observatory that Bruce Wayne is like donating like this telescope to, which will come back to play in the, the climax. 
and we see that Bruce Wayne is dating this supermodel, mm-hmm. Julie Madison, played by Elle McPherson, who this role is completely thankless and has nothing to do with anything, but it's in the movie and we don't know why. I guess just because Elle McPherson felt like being in a Batman movie or something. But we're also introduced to this character, Gossip Gertie, who is also in Batman Forever, too. And I think she might even be in Batman Returns, but I'm not sure. Anyway, she's actually played by the wife of Batman creator. And I put creator in quotes because he really just took credit for creating Batman when really the artist Bill Finger had a bigger hand in creating Batman. But uh, Bob Kane's wife is Gossip Gertie, and Mm. that's why she's in this movie. She's pretty terrible, and she's like, Bruce Wayne, tell us what you're doing! (laughs) I kind of love her, only because it really just makes it feel like uh, the 60s Batman. She's she's pretty fun. That's very unoffensive to me. Fair (laughs) enough, fair enough. Well, that's Bob Kane's wife, and that's why she's in the movie. Pamela Isley shows up at this and questions Bruce Wayne about his environmental concerns Mm -hmm. but bruce wayne is like people come first i'm not going to sign off on your environmental project that's going to kill all of humanity or whatever she has proposed this leads to this big charity auction which is this really sexist event where they're basically auctioning off uh women for dates not for sex but like to like really gross rich men who are like, I'll take the begonia for $10,000 or whatever, because they're all like flowers, flower personas or whatever. But this whole scene is another insane set. The only thing that could possibly rival the museum's set, not quite as grand, but it's pretty much up there. They've decked it all out like a jungle and they've got all these like, you know, tribal dancers dancing around to this crazy music. And we should say that the music is uh, Elliot Goldenthal, who we discussed in uh, Alien 3. Oh, he did both the Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. That's why we don't have the amazing original Batman themes right. that were Danny Elfman stuff. He's got his Batman theme, which is that. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. I really don't like his Batman music. It's way too like horny, not as in sexually aroused, but as in like just too many blasting <laughs> horns. Not a huge fan, although I will put that music on this episode because I have to. But uh, anyway, the music in this scene is insane. And there's like these gorilla dancers dancing around. And then we find out that the gorilla dancers are actually Poison Ivy and Bane Mm -hmm. in disguise. And these gorilla suits are like these purple gorilla suits. They're insane. They're pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. They're actually kind of amazing. (laughs) But she takes off her gorilla head and then it starts playing this version of the song Poison Ivy. You know, that yep. old 60s song Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy. Yeah. Yep. She blows this pheromone dust out into the crowd, which then gets the already horny crowd of millionaires (laughs) even more horny. And then she comes down to the stage and they're like, half a million dollars for Poison Ivy. But then Batman and Robin have also gotten a whiff of this pheromone dust. So now they both want Poison Ivy. This is the worst part of the movie. Yeah. (laughs) uh... just, Just talk about it. Let's talk about the the credit card scene. (laughs) 
they're going back and forth like Batman's like, I'll pay a million dollars. And then Dick or Robin rather is like, I'll pay two million dollars. And he's like, you don't have that kind of money. And he's like, I'll borrow it from you. And then he Batman's like, I don't know, three million dollars. And he's like, that's a the utility belt, not a money belt. And then Batman pulls out the Bat credit card. Uh, I think it's a visa. And it says Batman good for forever. Get it? Oh, yeah. Batman forever. Oh, yeah. And I think you hear like a cha-ching when it comes out or whatever. If somehow you were hanging on to this movie before this, like we were like, well, I don't know. This is where you definitely check out if you can't handle what's going on here. It's so ridiculous and such like just... Yeah, I mean, and I, I'm, I'm here for the over-the-top campiness, ridiculousness, but this is, even this is just like, oh my god. Is this a credit card too far for you? It's a credit card too far. Especially when they, um, like, all the sort of shell company stuff that Batman gets his equipment from in the, in the Nolan movies, you're like, what? <laughs> it's, so, it's so stupid. It's so stupid. It's almost like why even try to understand it? Because like, of course, Batman couldn't get a credit card that said Batman on it. Is it any crazier than the back shark repellent in the TV show? I mean, it's worse. It's definitely worse than that. It's all this. And it's just the like, uh, her pheromone dust and just everybody it's just it's all too much that makes more sense to me that's like her power is to mesmerize people and i think in the comics the kiss is what makes her get mind control she can actually just like kill people by kissing them so like ivy has now basically pitted batman and robin against each other in order to win her affections but She ends up not really being that interested in either of them because Mr. Freeze busts in because what they're another thing they're auctioning off here is like a diamond Mm -hmm. or something, of course, which is actually Batman's plan to lure Mr. Freeze out Mm -hmm. because he can't resist a diamond because they power his suits. So Mr. Freeze shows up. And then Ivy tries to seduce him with the pheromone dust, but he's like, it doesn't work on the cold hearted. So... (laughs) She can't seduce him with the dust. So she's like, "Mm, now that is a man. I think also that we should say, though, too, I think the diamond is more than just his suit. I think this is supposed to help his wife in some way. The the diamond is for for her her McGregor disease. Oh no, yeah, it's to fund his um to fund finding a cure. Oh okay, okay. He needs billions of dollars to research this disease, and that's why at the end his plan is to freeze Gotham City and hold it for ransom, so they will give him the billions of dollars he needs for research. This is something I've only pieced together (laughs) from whatever, 10 viewings of this over the past 23 years or however long. It's a solid plan. (laughs) But Freeze gets away, but not for long because Batman and Robin go chasing after him. And it's one of those things where it's just like, I don't know, Freeze leaves and then suddenly we're on this ginormous statue that for some reason is in the city that is so huge you can ride ride large vehicles on so they're having this sort of street chase along the arm of a giant statue and batman doesn't want robin to keep up with him because he wants he thinks it's too dangerous so he remotely disengages 
Robin's motorcycle controls, which really pisses off Robin. And then Mr. Freeze jumps over to another building with his car that somehow makes this incredible jump. And his his like freeze mobile is like huge. It looks like a blimp that has wheels and has like spikes sticking out of it. So he's over on this roof and then Batman jumps with the Batmobile and then Mr. Freeze freezes the Batmobile, but Batman jumps out of the Batmobile and then flies down, crashing through Mr. Freeze's windshield and knocking him out. And we get this really hilarious shot of somebody who's definitely not George Clooney wearing the Batman costume and just kind of like raising his cape to look intimidating as this dummy uh, that's not actually Arnold Schwarzenegger is like lying on the ground to signify he's been captured. The Tim Burton movies already established a sort of like art deco look for Gotham. Yeah. In Batman Returns, they don't have as much of it. But then in Batman Forever, there are these sort of giant, almost like uh, Chronicles of Riddick, just faces in the city, these giant sculptures. So the entire fact that um, this observatory is held aloft in the sky on the hands of this like statue that's like larger than the statue of liberty it's just (laughs) insane it's the most precarious most dangerous observatory and yes the the world of these batman films establishes that it's a very vertical city it's just the chase is ridiculous and when robin you know screeches to a halt at the end of the finger or something like that and screams into the, the sky. It, it's super cheesy, but also it's, and you you said earlier that yes, his costume mimics the Nightwing costume, but they're doing that on purpose because this is the point where Robin is like, I don't need you Batman anymore. I'm going to do my own thing. And so it all fits in thematically with, you know, yeah. the Nightwing costume and the conflict with Bruce. And like, he's like, you know, if you trusted me, I thought we were partners. That part is fine. The chase is super ridiculous, but, you know, maybe it sold toys of the bike. I don't know. I, I wish I could remember how I felt when I first saw this, because I'm pretty sure I saw it in the theater. Or at least I saw it, you know, around the time that it, it, you know, had come out or whatever. Because watching it again now, and I, I do believe, you know, you've had it on and I probably have passively watched it, but giving it my full attention, I've just so let go. Like, I'm just enjoying the ride. It's all ridiculous. It's all just super over the top. And I don't know. It's I'm 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 fine with all of it. This is where Robin tells Batman sometimes counting on someone else is the only way to win because he wants Batman to trust him to be able to do things. This is sort of the fulcrum in which this conflict between them is sort of boiling over. But to Steve's other point about the sort of height of all the buildings, we're brought to Arkham Asylum, which is one of the most famous locations in Batman mythos, because this is where all his crazy villains end up. And this version of Arkham Asylum in this movie, it's like, <laughs> like I don't know, like a giant tower, like multiple towers, like really high up, like next to like a, I don't know, an ocean or something like it's just mm-hmm. in the most insanely overdone gothic to a crazy degree location. I mean, there's nothing in the world 
that has ever looked as crazy as this asylum. But Mr. Freeze is brought into the asylum by these two guards, one of whom is future politician and former wrestler Jesse the Body Ventura. He is one of the wow. guards. Oh, wow. I didn't even notice that. He's not the guy with the eye patch, is he? No, he's the other guy. Okay. You're going to be in here a long time, Mr. Freeze, or whatever. Like, you can hear him talk, like, to Jesse Ventura in it. And, like, they, you know, he, they keep Freeze in this light that's supposed to be a cold ray or something so he can stay in there. And he's like, my name is Mr. Freeze. Learn it well, for it is the harbinger of your doom. <laughs> <laughs> What ends up happening here, just to sort of round out the whole Arkham Asylum sequence, is later on, Ivy, because she's decided that Mr. Freeze is her one and only, decides to go in there with Bane and break Freeze out. So, like, Ivy's, like, kissing the guards, including Jesse Ventura, so that they die. And meanwhile, like, Bane is going to the costume closet to get Mr. Mm -hmm. Freeze's costume, and you can see Two-Face's costume, and you see the Riddler's costume. Which makes no sense, because, yes, the Riddler is in Arkham at this point, but um, Two-Face is dead. Well, maybe they just found his body and they were like, hey, let's keep his costume in Arkham Asylum for for shits and giggles. <laughs> Bane grabs Mr. Freeze's costume and he's got it in like a shopping cart and he shows up back at Mr. Freeze's cell and Mr. Freeze is like, a laundry service that delivers. Just the stupidest line. So dumb. I mean, I... I laugh every time. Come on. Steve, I was laughing throughout the entire film. It's a real test of like your child sense of humor. Like like how much can you take? How many dumb jokes could happen before you stop laughing? This is starting to get to my threshold. I'm still going along for the ride and enjoying the absurdity, but like some of the jokes are just stupid. And like once Mr. Freeze gets his suit back on, they're like, how are we going to get out of here? And Mr. Freeze is like, always winterize your pipes. And he like pulls out like a little piece of his costume and then freezes a pipe so that it blows up and then they can jump out of the asylum which is a million feet up in the air but they fall down into the river or whatever it's just so absolutely bonkers and absurd and also let's just talk about this let's park here for a moment what is the plan the world domination plan that Poison Ivy and Mr. Freeze are going to agree on. Mr. Freeze wants to like freeze the whole world. And then like Poison Ivy wants to like grow like plants that can kill people or something. Like how are these two plans going to mesh? Like I don't see this being very synergistic here. Look, they're not going for the long-term goals here. I don't think, you know, it's like any new relationship. They're just... (laughs) really enjoying each other and they don't want to get into what their their long-term prospects are yeah prospects are yeah they're just they're they're not thinking you know they'll work that out later they go sneaking back to freeze's lair and meanwhile batman and robin have caught wind that freeze's escaped so they go right to his lair and this whole sequence is so absurd because what you have is is batman and robin and commissioner gordon and everybody like going through freeze's lair like as if it's a crime scene right and then for some reason like they don't know Notice that Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy are like 
downstairs or some shit. Like, and, they, and they're like sneaking around and like Mr. Freeze can't attack because his free he needs to repower up his freeze suit. And meanwhile, Batman, who's supposed to be like the greatest detective in the world, is just kind of like, mm, I don't know where they are or whatever. And so they get into this fight with Poison Ivy where she's pitting Batman against Robin and Robin against Batman and Batman ends up throwing Robin into another vat of goo. I think it's um pistachio ice cream. That's my understanding of it. At least. <laughs> right. Just the whole way this whole scene is structured, it makes no sense. It's so impossible to follow that you just don't even know like where it like because they're all in the same place, but they can't find the villains. And then they have this fight, and then the villains just end up like walking out, and like Commissioner Gordon's like, you let them get away or whatever. And Batman's just like, Yep. This is where the movie is really kind of starting to kind of fall apart <laughs> and becomes a little indefensible. I just like the ridiculousness of it. Like I said, I just, you know, I, I don't know how I felt in 97, but Jen now is just like going with it. It's bonkers. This whole film is bananas. A lot of it doesn't make sense and is not plausible in any way, shape or form, even for a Batman film. I mean, I think if you are going to enjoy it. You just have to let it go. Do you like the little sexist moment where Batman and Robin are discussing how hot Poison Ivy is and Batman's like, nice stems though. And then Robin's like, nice buds too. And he's like, yeah, those are good. I did chuckle at that because I was like, I thought that was a good use of stems. And I mean, the and then I was like, oh, they went there with buds. That's, that's you know, like, <laughs> that's so silly and just ridiculous. But yeah, stems, they had to use stems. It should be said that this screenplay was written by Akiva Goldsman, who was like an Academy Award winning screenplay writer. He wrote A Beautiful Mind. Yes, it won the Oscar for I it. I can't, it's like, yeah, what range? Actually, the, the sexual innuendo that uh, Poison Ivy gives to uh, when she meets Batman and Robin the first time is is also very good and very adult for something that's essentially made as a kid's movie at this point. I mean, look, if you like innuendo and you like puns, this is the Batman movie for you because, <laughs> man, you get a lot of it. But the important thing that happens here is that after the villains have supposedly escaped, again, so this is making no sense because the villains have escaped at this point. Ivy somehow like doubles back and goes to where uh, Freeze's wife right. is being held and then like breaks the mechanism or whatever so that she dies. No, she like unplugs the there's, it's like a plug or something, right? Doesn't she? She <laughs> kicks the power cord yeah. out of the thing that's keeping Nora Freeze alive. Yeah. Yes. And then she goes and steals the necklace off of her yes. body in the, the tank. Right. To prove to Mr. Freeze that she's dead. Well, and then she also, this is, you know, this is, this is another twist that's happening because she's going to, she angers Mr. Freeze by saying that Batman, this is the Batman that did this to his wife. So right. she's she's really stirring things up. It should be said that uh, Ivy's lair is in a bathhouse that her and Bane just wander <laughs> into off the street. Okay, what are these people that are hanging out in the the bathhouse? Like they're like in this day glow paint, day glow like black light lighting, and they I don't I just I have no idea what they're supposed to be. They're like a gang, like the Schumacher and the and the the bike racing scene there's a bunch of gangs around and it's supposed to be like 
the Warriors, and there's even like a Clockwork Orange gang there. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. I guess it's been a part of Batman for a while that all of these super criminals have their themed goons. Like, there's the Joker gang, there's right. the Freeze gang, um, and that Gotham is just full of all these different sort of factions that are trying to get to Coney Island. Like, I don't know. And they had a similar neon gang in Batman Forever that had, like, Don the Dragon Wilson in it. But this is just kind of, I don't know, another neon gang or whatever. But yeah, in that motorcycle racing scene that happened earlier where Coolio, we should mention that Coolio's in there. Oh, yeah, right. Coolio, yeah. Can't forget the Coolio cameo. That's right. He's running the bike racing betting pool or whatever. But yeah, and there's all these crazy crazy gangs there and actually the bike racer that uh barbara races against who's really antagonistic towards her uh-huh. he's played by nikki cat who's also in the dark knight he's the guy that's in the sequence where joker is attacking the truck that has harvey dent in it and there's this one of the truck the guys in the cab of the truck is going is narrating the whole time basically that is also nikki cat so nikki cat has been in two batman movies arguably the best Batman movie and arguably the worst. So there you go. Congratulations, Nikki Cat. <laughs> anyway, Ivy's in this crazy lair, this uh, bathhouse lair. Meanwhile, Barbara is decided to try to hack into the computer. Alfred gives her, he knows he's dying, and he's like, the entire time he's been looking for his brother because he wants to pass the responsibility of being Bruce Wayne's manservant to someone that he can trust which is his um, brother Wilfred or something like that. Yeah, and he's working for like the Maharaja. Right, right. Or he's trying to find him. So he gives the disc to Barbara, and then at that point, Barbara's like, "Well, I'm family. Like, I should be able to see what this is." That's where she's going through a bunch of passwords. Oh my god! It's like anyone watching this that learned how to make passwords from like just objects in your room. Like, it's just like. Oh my God! This is the same thing in um, Batman Returns. The password to Shrek's computer is a statue that's in his office. His Chihuahua, yeah, his Chihuahua, yeah. And in fact, whenever I get to this scene in Batman and Robin, I always forget. I'm always like, "Isn't it a Chihuahua or something?" And then I'm like, "No, no, it's Peg." Yeah, it's exact same thing. It's Peg. That's the password, which is a really terrible password, but. Alfred is old, so, you know, he's not too hip with the passwords. I can forgive his poor password right, choice. Right. Three letters, just peg. Not even one, two, three, four, five for Alfred. When she's hacking into the computer, uh, Bruce and Alfred are having, like, a really strong moment. He's like, I love you, old man, and then they hug. I was also just appreciating that all of this important Batman history and information is on one, one disc. <laughs> yeah. there it is here's the disc yeah like the blueprints to all of the cr- different bat vehicles are all on this disc it's all just kind of scrolling by in this reflective shot on poor alicia silverstone but then like she goes into the bed she's got this look on her face like oh my god they're batmans like 
that's what this is. And then she friggin' goes down into the Batcave and a Max Headroom version of Alfred. Yes. Like Alfred is so forward thinking that he's like transcendenced himself into this like AI. He's like, I've mapped my algorithms onto a computer. And then she's like, Uncle Alfred, it's me, Barbara, or whatever. And he's like, I took the liberty of making you a suit or whatever. Like, so it's like he has anticipated that she's going to break into the Batcave. And then when she does, she's going to need her own suit. Even worse is they, you know, they repeat the sequence at the very beginning of the movie where they show her ass and her boobs and like all the stuff on the suit. Unfortunately, the suit is not terribly flattering on poor Alicia Silverstone. She doesn't look too good in it. It's not her fault. Just wasn't well designed. And also I was reading in the the trivia that she did gain a little bit of weight during production because I mean she's still like you know she wasn't she was like maybe what like late teens or early 20s at this point she wasn't that old and the news was just the press was really terrible about her in this suit and it, it is good to know that um, Joel Schumacher was like publicly defending her and you know he was like what is this girl's big sin that she ate some pizza like leave her alone you know because they yeah, ate his yeah. um he just thought it was really horrible and cruel. She was a teenager who gained a few pounds, like all of us do at certain times. And so he would he would confront female journalists, especially, and say, like, with so many young people suffering from anorexia and bulimia, why are you crucifying this girl? So I think that's really great. And it makes me even more endeared to Joel Schumacher that he was sticking up for her. Because, my God, like, I can't even imagine wearing that suit on camera like oh I know. Ah. <laughs> like ugh, no that's just terrifying in itself so anyway but yeah it's not it's not her best look and she's a super cute girl and it's just not it's not flattering well, i didn't know that about joel schumacher that's very nice i didn't either i thought it was really i thought it was really sweet yeah he seems like he was a very very nice guy yeah let's give joel a little bit of a break okay let's just give him a break man <laughs> <laughs> so what this leads to is that Batman and Robin have figured out where uh, Ivy's lair is and Robin goes in first and it's sort of set up in a way, oh, because Ivy has stolen a bat signal. Bane has like <laughs> taken a bat signal down from whatever the roof and put a Robin signal on it so that playing to Robin's ego that all they're just signaling for Robin. Right, right. right. No, um, uh, Ivy um, uses her pheromones to convince uh, Commissioner Gordon and to give her the keys to the head of the GCPD and switches it out, the bat signal for the, the Robin signal. And that's how she gets Robin to come to the Turkish bathhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Already at this point, Batman and Robin have had this huge talk about trust. And like Bruce is like, believe in me now. Like, trust me. This is where he calls him Dick in a way that he sounds like he's saying, listen to me, Dick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's definitely they during the, they're doing that on purpose. Listen to me, Dick. You know, will you just trust me on this one thing? And we see a reaction shot of Chris O'Donnell of like, is he going to trust him or is he not? And then we cut and then we go to the Turkish bathhouse. They're playing it up like Robin's actually fallen for her. And then they kiss. And it should be said that uh, Poison Ivy is sitting in this like Venus fly trap. And like she's had a bunch of costume changes throughout the movie. And some of them have been pretty good. Like I like her all green costume when she's got like the red wig yep. with the two horns. That I like that. Great. This costume is terrible though. She's in like this orange, orange thing and her hair yeah. is like really dumb looking. Really bad final costume. It looks like she has like um like 
flat bunny ears or something. Yeah. Totally. Not a good one. Totally. So she kisses Robin and you think Robin's dead, but no, he's like plastic lips are immune to your charms. And he pulls off the plastic on his lip Aha. and then she kicks him into yet another pool <laughs> and he's thrashing around in this pool and these vines are like holding him down. And if you look carefully at the shots when he's in the pool, they clearly didn't have the footage. So you can see them like forwarding and reversing him in the water to make him look like like he's thrashing around. Oh, God, really? really? It's just like one shot that they use a bunch of times and go backwards and forwards with. So he's thrashing around the pool. Then Batman shows up and then Batman just immediately gets like vined or whatever. So he's useless. And so you're like, oh, no, who's going to save them? But then in through the window comes Batgirl. And this is just so embarrassing because she's like, Using your feminine wiles to get your way. That passive aggressive number went out years ago, sister or whatever. And they they have this super lame fight where like Ivy pulls out a knife. She pulls out a knife and then she looks in the reflection of the blade to check her hair or something. I kind of love that. Yeah, so Barbara saves the day with feminism. I mean, I even kind of... Oh, she she kicks uh, Ivy back into her, her own giant Venus flytrap chair yep. or whatever. And Ivory goes, curses yes. when she lands in it. And then the Venus flytrap, like, closes in on her or whatever. But it's like, why does her own plant... Why does her own plant kill her? Yeah, like... Right. No, I mean, you think she's dead at that point. And yes, it doesn't make any sense at all. Barbara cuts down Batman and Dick gets out of the pool and uh, they're like, hey, who are you? And Barbara's like, Bruce, it's me, Barbara. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. I'm Batgirl now. And then Batman's like, isn't that a little not PC? Shouldn't you be like Batperson or Batwoman or whatever? So, yeah, even back in the day, we were worrying about this kind of stuff. What are they going to do when Bat gender fluid person comes along? What are they going to be? That's going to be tough. That's going to be a tough one. That they? I don't know. That them? I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. Whatever. We'll figure it out. Some comic book writer right now is like sweating, (laughs) trying to figure that out, I'm sure. But yeah, so Barbara is now in on the team and they better hurry because Mr. Freeze has made his way to the observatory and is blasting freeze rays all over Gotham, freezing the one city set that they have that's like a street corner or whatever. And like we see like a bulldog trying to pee on a uh, fire hydrant and he gets frozen. Everybody's getting frozen. That's my second least favorite scene. It's like someone be like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if a dog got frozen while trying to pee on a fire hydrant it's like oh my god <laughs> yeah they're just freezing it's like freezing everybody right now just re- it, yeah i think he says let's kick some ice <laughs> <We're just shooting laughs> it's like, yeah. the only thing that i'm really enjoying at this end part is the mr freeze nonsense now they're in these new snow suits or whatever because you know they've got the right bat suits to deal with the cold and like batman's suit at this point looks ridiculous it's got like these silver highlights and like this like piping on it and like stuff and he just looks even more immobile than he did before it's like painful you know what I hate about this is just this scene earlier when they're rushing to get to the observatory, Batgirl is wearing a helmet with the ears 
that she yeah. immediately removes when she gets into the the building and it's kind of unfortunate because it was a better look they had a batgirl action figure from this movie and i had it and the toy had her in the cowl not just the normal domino mask look that she wears most of the time but yeah robin's also got like silver highlights on his suit now they've all got silver and black suits and they just look goofy as hell i mean they looked goofy anyway but now they all look really goofy (laughs) and like the inside of the observatory has got like this purple lights and like it's like um the the laser show at the observatory kind of thing (laughs) that's that's what it is i as a sort of complete separation from the the burton batmans like these soul locker films like they're super colorful it's this over the top campy sort of gay disco type of thing going on cartoonish yeah i it i think the really what it is is that there's so much over the top going on that by the time you get here you're just kind of like, I don't know if I can take any more of this. You know what I mean? Like, I want to leave the disco now. (laughs) I want to go, let's go catch a cab. The ecstasy's wearing off. Like, I just want to go crash. You know, it's just too much at this point. But you can't leave the disco. You're not, it's not, you can't leave. (laughs) This whole sequence is just one thing happening and then the next thing happening and the next thing happening. Like, they get up to the the observatory. They've got to, like, zip line up with their, like, like bat grappling devices that they have that now have just become ridiculous. Like in the first Batman, he's got like a gun that shoots a grapple and it can shoot like one line. Now he's got like multiple grapples that can come out of his gloves and it's just, it's gone completely cartoonish. He's just shooting grappling guns out (laughs) everywhere like (laughs) Spider-Man and they're just going up and down and up and down. Like they fall down, they fall up. Batman fights freeze at the gun or whatever that's on the observatory and then they start to dethaw the city but then the bombs blow up and then robin and batgirl fall down but then they catch each other and then bane's waiting for them for some reason like halfway down in like this alcove in the observatory and they defeat bane by like duh pulling out the things in the back of his head like that's not the first thing you'd think of you'd be like hmm, this guy's walking around with these muscles and he's got these tubes stuck in his head that are pumping in this shit into his head what do you think you're gonna do to stop him of course rip out the tubes it should also be said that the bane is played by a wrestler named jeep svensson who sadly is dead he He died shortly after the film right yeah r.i.p jeep i do appreciate that the two scientists that are working in the observatory uh michael paul chan and kimberly scott Mm -hmm. they're actually in batman forever as a Assistance to Bruce Wayne at like Wayne Enterprises. Oh, cool! Um, so they're they're reprising their roles here. Good continuity. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I didn't catch that. They're playing comedy beats basically because at one point they're like hanging off of the gun thing or whatever. They get frozen at one point too, and they that again brings up like the eleven minutes to thaw them out or whatever. That that's brought up again. The ticking clock is that half of Gotham has been frozen, and they've got to unfreeze everybody within eleven minutes. But then Freeze and Bane have placed all these icicle bombs all around the observatory, and then they. They go off so the whole big like observatory gun thing goes falling down and at that point like batman 
saves the two scientists with his grappling guns, leaves them in the ground, then goes all the way back up and then picks up Robin and and Batgirl on the way. Like, you want to lift or whatever? They've defeated Bane and he's shrunken back to being a little guy now. And they go back up to the observatory and then Batman's like, well... We could reposition all the satellites to beam the light back down onto Gotham manually, but that would take a computer genius. Barbara's like, I happen to be a super hacker. Yeah, this is such a Jurassic Park moment. I was like, I know Unix, you know, it's like, oh, man. But like 15 times less believable because she's like, can just hack into the global satellites and reposition them, which why didn't they just do that to begin with? They wouldn't have been bothering with all this other shit, but whatever. They managed to get that all working and they dethaw all of uh, Gotham City. We've still got to deal with dying Alfred. And so Batman has learned that Alfred is suffering from the same disease that Mr. Freeze's wife is suffering from. And so he gives this impassioned speech to Freeze, who's defeated and lying on the ground at this point. And he's like, doctor, help me or whatever. And then Mr. Freeze opens up a piece of his gauntlet and there is miraculously two two vials vials of the cure that he's been carrying around in his armored suit this whole time just so he can say, take two and call me in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I did hear Jen laugh audibly at that (laughs) line when we were watching it. So good. I wish he had quoted the Predator at that point because in the beginning he's like, he's like, kill me, you know. But then Bruce is like, we saved your wife. Well, but that's when he finds out that it was Poison Ivy. For somehow, Bruce has recorded her yes. admitting to it. I was like, when did that happen? When he was cutting himself from the vines, he happened to be like filming from his bat belt or something. It's, it's insane. In the exact same shot that we saw in the movie. Right. Like he was yes. at the exact same, same angle, angle. Level everything of her going like. That's what I told Lady Freeze when I cut her plug or when whatever. When I pulled her yeah. plug, I'm a one woman show or whatever. <laughs> So, yeah, that's pretty much the end. We're wrapping up with some last scenes. Alfred is cured. He's fine. Uh, Freeze and Ivy are put into the same cell, which seems like a really bad idea if you're trying to keep them alive. And, like, Freeze is like, it's going to be a cold winter or something like that. But Batman even, like, says, like, he'll be able to continue his experiments at Arkham when he right. goes to jail. Because so. you'll have the funding of the the Wayne Foundation or you know, Wayne Enterprises. In the beginning of the scene, it's uh, Poison Ivy's picking petals out of a flower saying, he loves me, he loves me not. And it's sort of like, she's all in the nature. Would she actually be doing that? I right? Out of character. I had the same thought, Steve. I was like, why is she, if she's like all like into like plants and like trying to make them be able to have defenses like why is she pulling this flower apart i think she's kind of hypocritical is what i think, I think you're right i think it's so she's only into plants when it suits her that's right and maybe that's why the venus flytrap closed on her because the venus flytrap knows that she's a big fat hypocrite she's a big fair weather plant lover and uh yeah the bat family now there's three of them now they're all partners they trust each other they're a team blah 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 they're a family blah 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 and we get this last shot of the three of them running towards the camera 
with the bat signal behind them, the same kind of shot that we got at the end of Batman Forever when it was just Batman and Robin, only now there's three of them, and it's the end, and we get Smashing Pumpkins, the end is the beginning is the end, or whatever that song is called, but not the cool slow version that was in the Watchmen trailer, the fast version, which isn't as good, and then we also get R. Kelly the controversial, Mm -hmm. uh, disgusting, gross criminal. That's right. (laughs) Now, his song, Gotham City, is also in the end credits, which is ridiculous. It's such a bad slow jam. It's such a horrible song, especially when you compare it to, like, A Kiss from a Rose by Seal. Right. It's um, it's so horrible. And, yeah, I I do think the uh, Smashing Pumpkin song, yeah, that, that R. Kelly song is... An abomination. Terrible. It's terrible. Terrible, terrible. The Gotham City, city of love. It's so bad. He should be in jail just for that. He should be in jail just for that. (laughs) It's diminishing returns from Batman Forever. That's my pretty much opinion of this entire movie. It's funny. I definitely used to think that Batman Forever is the better movie, and it kind of is. But Batman Forever has this weird cheapness to it where it's like a lot of the sets, you can clearly see that they're just like there's nothing there. and They're just kind of like covering up some stuff in the background or whatever, whereas this movie feels like expensive. And I know Batman Forever was expensive in the grand scheme of things, but it like and Joel Schumacher talks about it. He's like, we had way more money for this movie. And you can tell like in terms of just insane production design, this movie is more ostentatious than Batman Forever. There's more going on with the sets and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. Batman Forever is pretty dumb, too. It's really pretty dumb. It absolutely is. The, no, these follow up movies are not good in it. And it took the fourth one to put the final nail in the coffin to this <laughs> 1990s, 80s uh, Batman series. We should all be kind of thankful for that because we ended up getting the Christopher Nolan movies as a result because... This was so far in that direction. They had to come around and do something completely different. But um, the budget for this was $125 million, which was a lot back then. And it grossed $107 million in the U.S. So it didn't quite make his budget back in the U.S. Worldwide, it made $238 million. So, I mean, it made its money back, as I said in the beginning. But in comparison to, like, Batman Forever which was a huge hit that made 185 million just in the U S and then 336 worldwide after Batman forever. They were like, we're going to be doing Batman forever. Like literally it's in the title. And then this comes out and it's just, everybody hated it. The money wasn't doing as well. I mean, it just completely torpedoed the whole franchise. So we don't really need to discuss how it failed We all know how it failed, and we all know what happened. We got Christopher Nolan some eight years later. But, I mean, it took eight years, and they went through all these different movies that they were going to try. They were going to actually make a sequel to this that was going to be called Batman Triumphant. And, like, the rumors were they were going to recast Batman again. They were going to get Kurt Russell, and it was going to have Jeff Goldblum as the Scarecrow. And it was going to have Madonna as Harley Quinn, they were talking about. Jack Nicholson reprising the Joker in flashbacks or something like that. So they had like a whole script. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it was going to be darker. Like Joel Schumacher was going to try to make it darker. Like there was going to be scary scenes with the scarecrow freaking people out or whatever. 
Scarecrow ends up in Batman Begins. Yep. So it was like clearly the studio wanted Scarecrow in the next movie, and that's why he ended up in Batman Begins. The Batman has the greatest rogues gallery of pretty much any superhero, followed very far behind by Spider-Man. And they've almost done them all now at this point. Maybe uh, pretty close. Mad Hatter needs to be in one. I don't know why, but yeah. They haven't done the ventriloquist yet. Ooh. I'm looking forward to him. I would also like to see like a, a fresh take on Mr. Freeze. Maybe a fewer ice puns. Somebody really actually trying to give him some pathos. I like Mr. Freeze a lot as a character. That is the one problem I had with the Dark Knight Rises because there's a period that it's established that Batman was just inactive. And, you know, you could have fast forward through time but you could have established that he during that period of time he fought all the ro other rogues they sort of just skip it all it's unfortunate and i like that these movies have been were going through all the rogues gallery that batman has right i think that the one kind of sad thing about this movie going too far and being the failure that it was is that we had to go in this sort of radical direction of christopher nolan where everything had to be more grounded and realistic and you miss out on some of the fun of the Batman rogues gallery because, you know, there's man bat who's like a werewolf, but he's a bat, you know, yeah. and like killer croc or whatever, who did show up in suicide squad. But like you have these more fantastical villains that Christopher Nolan wasn't going to touch with a 10 foot pole. And I feel like it's sort of sad that this movie had to take that away from us. You know what I mean? Like, there is a middle ground where you can have this kind of like more imaginative, crazy villains, but still keep it reined in enough so that it's not campy and completely over the top. You know, the Arkham Asylum games, I think, do that well. Those games are amazing as far as involving the, the Batman Rogues Gallery. And even Gotham, even though it's like not time proper you speak to it jen because i i've only seen a couple seasons of that show but i was thinking the same thing as you were talking about this though i kept thinking like oh, gotham kind of has gotten it right i mean as far as the balance goes i can't speak to the the timing of how where things should live because i'm not as well versed as the two of you but i feel as far as the balance of having something that's kind of gritty and grounded but still getting to have fun with these villains who i love um, right. I feel like they, they do a pretty good job of that. What they did was they kind of brought Gotham City down to be a little more grounded and more like New York or whatever. But then they pushed it with the villains where the villains were sort of over the top and, and campy. I mean, it didn't always work, but it, the, I kind of appreciated their take on the city. What would you like to see in like a Batman movie? And then like, that's what I would like to see. I would like to see a version of Batman where there was a sort of groundedness to it in the, in the sense of like what Gotham was, you know, maybe push it a little bit with Gothic architecture and stuff, but still have it be kind of like gritty on that level, but then have the villains be more pushed into almost fantastical directions you know and and as much as i'm looking forward to the new matt reeves movie it seems like it's another let's take batman and really make it super grounded and have the villains be grounded and stuff and i just wish somebody could kind of figure out that formula i wish they could too and i i would 
like there to be more fantastical villains and I would like there to still be it, it can be gritty it can be grounded but we can also have some good clever humor in there I mean it doesn't have to be pun city but you know it's like there there is that's just what Batman is like there that if we're going back to the the, the beginning of you know well at least I'm not I again I'm not going to try to speak to the comics because I that's what you guys are experts at that but I'm just talking about my first exposure whether it be super friends or the 60s tv show it's like the the villains are fun and i think you can find a balance somehow where it can still you know be grounded and can have some of that humor in there without being and as much as i love puns and i think it's the best part about this film that we were talking about tonight <laughs> is that it's a puntastic just giving pool of puns this flowing and I, I i'm here for it but they have their place there's just a fine line of of making that work i think it's too bad that the didn't really work out with ben affleck and the whole dcu when they first set it up that Zack snyder kind of fucked it up by making things just too heavy and dark like i feel like visually they were kind of getting things in the right direction and when Ben Affleck was supposed to direct his own Batman movie the rumor was going around that he wanted to basically do a take on the Arkham Asylum graphic novel Steve that you were talking about and like I think that could have been great like set a Batman movie just in Arkham Asylum make it like a horror movie like where Batman's dealing with all of his crazy you know they all get released at once and he's got to deal with all of them like, I think that could have been really cool and, and something different. I'm actually really looking forward to the Matt Reeves movie. I am too, just to be clear. I am also. And I love Robert Pattinson. Pattinson. Right. <laughs> totally down with Pattinson. All I'm commenting on is that it seems like we're going for another super realistic. Yeah. Right, and I right. feel like Nolan did the best that anybody could do with that. I feel that if you do it, not to the scope that Nolan was doing it. You can make something last longer and have more of the rogues gallery in it. I'm just disappointed because it, it felt like the, when they were setting up the DCU with Batman versus Superman and Suicide Squad, it felt like they were going to be able to go there, but those movies were just bad and shit the bed. And now we've got to take again another approach. I'm just a little bummed, like, because for a second I was like, oh, I'm going to get that. I'm going to get, like, I mean, I'm basically what I'm asking for is a live action version of the Arkham Asylum games. Right, right. <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not saying I, I deserve a lot of originality points here because I feel like you could just take those games and make them live action. They'd be awesome. But whatever. The DC Warner Brothers is going to take this sort of, you know, multiverse approach to their properties now because they've, they've kind of been forced to um, after the, the Justice League movie. Will we get a third Wonder Woman with Gal Gadot? We will. Definitely. Yeah. The, the, there's another Aquaman coming that's still in that continuity. I don't even think we're going to get a Superman movie for a while, especially with Henry Cavill. We're getting like a black Superman. Okay. We'll see where things go. I'm sure Batman has a bright future in cinema, so we'll probably get millions more takes just going on forever and until we're all dead. I hope I'm alive for it because I'm, I'm all for more Batman. It's just such an enduring character for sure. More Batman. Woo! Batman forever. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> 
All right, guys. Well, I'm going to go hack into the back computer and then surf on the doors of a rocket and learn about what killed the dinosaurs. The Ice Age! <laughs> <laughs> That about does it today for Tentpole Trauma. If you like what you heard, check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Tentpole Trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to Patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? Send an email to tentpoletrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows, one day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon.